0: Welcome to the afternoon show I'm Bill Arnold I'm so glad that we're going to have a little time this afternoon together hope your day's been going well and I hope uh I hope your heart and your head are all nice and at peace with the Lord and if if it's not maybe we can find some peace in this next 2 hours cuz we join together as a community to worship the one true God our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Amen. we're going to have guy talk for a little while today. So let me know what your questions are. Let them come in fast and furious. You can text them to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. The power panel today are a couple of Toms. Uh, j- 007 is going to be joining us a little late. And then Peter Kapstner may or may not join us. So that's the team, the squad today. So uh, we're awfully uh, glad that uh, the Toms are here, and we're excited to get things started. Uh, Pastor Tom Brock, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Bill? I'm good. Thank you for asking. And Tom Parrish? I'm here, ready to go. Sweet. I think 007 is just coming in right now. Justin, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing great, Bill. How's it going, guys? Nice, hey, Justin.
0: Nice to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah,
1: great
0: to be here. Yeah. Let me get things started with a question that's already come in in advance from uh, my wingman, Terry. A couple of great Old Testament uh, about the God's will was the drawing of lot of lots. Um, Acts 126, it says, and they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Okay. Um, what about this? this, what about gambling at all? What about scratch-off tickets, lottery tickets for Christians? I know it's a little bit a well, you know, little but, bit of a disjointed but, reference, but I'm just trying to say we do read about the casting of lots, and now it's different if you're doing the lottery or scratch-off tickets. It's a very different practice, but I'm just saying, what is it like for a Christian to get involved in buying lottery tickets or scratch-off tickets?
2: Hmm. Well, Bill, my dad ran the horse race track in Omaha.
0: That's
3: why and, I think you uh, should go first.
2: Well, I, mean, I think, you know, and... Is there a clear verse that says gambling is a sin? I don't know of one. And if I take $20 to the horse racetrack and you spend the whole day there betting just $20, what's the difference between that and going to an amusement park? That's part of what I want to say. But, you know, the other thing is regarding the last time we see the casting of lots, which you're right, is very different than gambling, is in Acts chapter 1.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then you then you never hear it about it again. hmm and and you know then you've got the Old Testament rules, every lot cast in the lot is in the lap is from the Lord, meaning He's in, in control of even little things like that. But I have learned the hard way not to do what they call throwing out a fleece. Lord, if it rains today, does that? I'll take that as a sign I'm supposed to switch jobs. That kind of stuff. And I just think we stay away from it. On the other hand, because it is in Acts chapter one, you can't totally say you can never do it. The apostles did it. Mm-hmm. But again, it's the last time we see it in the Bible.
3: So. I think one of the realities, though, is the effect we see. In the Bible, when they cast lots, they understood, at least the Christians did and the Jews did, that the Lord's hand was behind that somehow. They believed the Lord had selected Matthias through the casting of lots. The problem with gambling is that it becomes so addictive to a group of people that it destroys families, it destroys communities, it destroys livelihoods. Now, I'm not sure I ever heard that Casting of Lots did that in the Bible. So I think we need to be wise. And I'm like you, Tom. I can't say that there's a scripture verse that says never buy a lottery ticket, never do that. And I'm not going to try to project that. But you also have to look to your own heart and see how well you can handle that kind of stuff. I had one gentleman in my church whose family was literally going hungry because he was spending all of his money at, uh, like, Grand Casino. And he would go out there every week after work with his paycheck, and by the time he came home, they had no food, they couldn't pay rent, any of those things. So there's something that we have to look at and look at hard.
1: Yeah yeah I agree I think the the verse that comes to my mind is uh 1 Corinthians 6 I think it's yeah verse 12 I opened it up here you know Paul says all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me but I will not be dominated by anything so I think you know I, I go to that you know asking the question is it lawful okay well yes it's it's the you know it's there's there's laws around it but there isn't a specific you know maybe verse that that's you know uh commanding us against it or prohibiting it but then is it helpful? You know, what's the purpose? What's what's the motive behind doing it? And uh, I mean, yeah, I think I know some people that can gamble, you know, almost kind of recreationally as a little thing. But, you know, as long as it's, you know, there's a lot of moderation done there. But then here's the other question. Does it have the ability or am I, do I have the proclivity to allow it to dominate? And I think the answer to that question, mm-hmm. at least in North America, is, is, is yes. I mean, this is a number of years ago, but I heard a stat that, um, America, North America, just the United States spends over 29 billion dollars a year in gambling. Oof. When it would take 30 billion dollars to solve the world's hunger needs.
3: Wow. So if you think
1: about, if you think about that in terms of what you know, where our treasure is, or our heart will be, also, I think part of that is what we spend our money on, and our time and energy on. So I think this is one of those things I think Christians have to be really careful about because it does have that power to dominate in a really deceptive way, um, and and it has ruined a lot of lives. So...
2: And, and, you know, can I add this, Bill? I was, because my dad ran the racetrack in Omaha, I I worked at the racetrack 15, 16, 17, 18, all the way to age 20. I was an usher in their wealthy boxes where all the people with money would sit. And every time the horses would round that turn for the finish line, everybody jumped up and down and screamed, and I was so bored with the whole thing because I had to watch every single race, but you know what I thought? You know, I'm a Lutheran, and Lutherans tend to be rather reserved, and I, I couldn't help but think, if people can jump up and down and scream about a horse, why why can't we get a little more excited about the Lord Jesus Christ? And I just, you know, I I a lot of churches had worship wars, and so did the church that I serve bringing in the contemporary service was World War Three. But I, you know, whether you traditionally worship or worship of contemporary worship, I don't think really matters. But do we ever—I I heard a preacher many years ago say, if your faith in Christ doesn't make you want to jump up and down and scream periodically, something is wrong.
3: So—
0: Good word, Tom. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, surprisingly good start. You know, you guys are you guys are you guys are doing well today. We're, We're trying. trying.
3: Surprisingly. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, don't, <laughs> Thanks, I don't mean so. to be
0: grading you, but I, I guess I do mean to be grading you. You guys are doing good. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, but it, I mean, yeah. something like gambling, though, does fire some little endorphin in your brain. So it does. if you put down 20 bucks and, and you, you hit a win and you get you get 35 back, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That just fired something in your brain. So you've got to be very careful. And Tom, I think yeah. your your point is really well taken. If you spend twenty bucks to go to a movie and twenty bucks, you know, betting on horse races for four hours on a sunny afternoon, out you know, watching horse races at two bucks a yeah. bet, and you maintain four hours of entertainment for twenty bucks, there's nothing wrong with that.
3: It's the same dilemma with alcohol. That's why Christianity's been divided. The reality is, alcohol seems to have been a common drink in wine in the New Testament, and Paul even recommends it to Timothy. Take a little for his stomach. Here's the problem. There are a whole group of people that after one drink, they're in trouble. They just can't stop. There is other group of people that get drunk socially, and they do that way too often. Uh, I am not a drinker. I've never had a desire to drink. I've never gone that direction. But I'm also not going to, as a minister of the gospel, say you can never have a drink. What you have to do is understand who you are and what your body can handle, and whether you're going to honor the Lord with it or you're going to dishonor him. Mm Mm-hmm. And so most people don't know how to get around that or deal with that well. And I always say, listen, if you find yourself, if you want to go out and get that next drink, that's when you need to start talking. I need some help or get away from that.
0: But isn't it true, gentlemen, that there seems to be a lot of opportunities where guys, maybe they're playing golf and they go, okay, let's do a quarter a hole or something. And all of a sudden you're being asked to participate in something you may or may not want to do, but you want to be kind of a good sport and, You know, you might end up losing five bucks. I mean, is that a bad thing or is that foolish? Or what's your thoughts on stuff like that? Well,
3: if they're asking me for 500 bucks, that's a different matter. Right. But, you know, I think it's, I don't see a problem there with your friends if you're doing it occasionally and there's no real money involved. But I know of golf games, Bill, that I've seen with people where it is $500 a hole. And the guys that are in it, have a lot of money but that money could be used for a lot of other things and that's mm-hmm. the sad part
0: yeah a listener jumped in with uh, about gambling what about the verse in proverbs about steady plotting brings great gain and wealth gotten quickly leads to destruction good point <laughs> that's
2: yeah. a good point well, i think that's
1: i mean the smart point listeners. of i mean i think yeah very smart i i mean i think oh, that yeah. speaks to the point of um you know, Proverbs is really talking about distinguishing what's foolish and what's wise. And I think that's when you come to ga- gambling here. You know, if, if I'm being dependent upon gambling in order to gain wealth, that's not a wise path. No. You know, and, and, that, and that's not being a good steward of the money that God's entrusted to us. And so uh, I think that's a, yeah, that's a great, that's a great verse. And again, another one that helps guide and I think help us discern what's the motive of our heart and wanting to participate
3: in something like gambling. Well, if you work hard and make a lot of money, that's one thing. You have put energy, time into it. Hopefully you've learned how to use that money well for others as well as yourself. I think of this poor guy or family in Michigan that just won the lottery a billion dollars. It's going to ruin their life. Mm -hmm. Very few people could deal with that kind of money in a way that is righteous and healthy. And I had a friend who was a lawyer who worked with lottery winners, and he said 90% of those lives are destroyed because of the lottery. doesn't matter how much it is. It doesn't need to be a million. It can be 300,000. But somehow you get this idea that now you're on top of the world, and mm-hmm. you can have anything you want, and it really becomes a problem. And it's a doorway, he said. He actually used this term. He said it's a doorway to the demonic mm-hmm. when it comes that quickly and you have
0: simply won it. I agree. All right. Any other additions or subtractions? No. (laughs) All right. Then I'm going to take my first of three breaks. You're listening to Guy Talk. Let me know what your questions are. We've got a couple coming in. I want more. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. I'm so glad to be hanging out with my posse today. We've got guide talk happening. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. Here's one. Our pastor and deacons recently brought a man forward to add him as a new deacon. Should we, as a congregation, be concerned if he did not follow our independent church's bylaws and how it was communicated to the membership, meaning some were not aware of the upcoming vote? They assured everyone they spent a lot of time with this man, making sure he qualified as Scripture dictates. But why not follow the bylaws? Or is that a minor thing if he qualifies scripturally? It bugs me, but maybe I'm making something out of nothing.
3: No, I don't think it's a small matter at all. And human nature is human nature. You know, we're called to love one another, but not be foolish about one another. And people can have hidden motives, or people can just get lazy and not follow through. The bylaws are there as a congregational statement for a reason. I would advise the pastors and the other the deacons involved in this to simply say, you're absolutely right. Let's go back and follow the steps involved. This man's still going to be here, we think, you know, two months from now, and he will be a fine leader, but we will go through the process and make sure you're properly informed. That takes away any sense in the body of Christ that anyone's doing something under the rug or behind their back.
1: you yeah, know especially because i think oh go ahead tom <laughs> no that's all <why> Ditto. <laughs> oh ditto i thought you said you know and then you're going to say something <laughs> no, really no. profound like you normally I do. okay uh
2: <laughs> i can't approve upon tom Perry. i just can't thank you
1: yeah well and i i can't either but i think the only thing i was going to just you know uh emphasize is you know if this person's you know qualified according you look at the first Timothy three. And I think, you know, when it comes to elders and deacons, it's, it's it talks about being above reproach. And so I, I disagree with Tom. I think that that, that should be followed by the current elders and, and deacons in terms of the processes that they agree to adhere to, uh, for the sake of, um, a congregational accountability, um, in electing a new leader. And so, yeah, I think I would, I would encourage this, this individual to approach the church leadership and just, uh, You know, respectfully ask. You know, why why the process was different, and is there you know why there might be a certain rush to elect this leader, or maybe this has already happened. But I think this is definitely something that you know would address, and you know would be concerned if this became a pattern within the church body in terms of making decisions.
0: Mm. Ephesians five fifteen says, "Look carefully, then, how you walk." The Bible not only warns us, uh, but also guides us how we should live, not as unwise, but as wise. So you may ask yourself, what does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to live as a wise man?
3: Wisdom is... I'm added. thinking the... Go
0: Tom, ahead, Tom Brock, go ahead. I'll let you lead well, I'm off.
2: Thinking, I'm, I'm thinking the answer is the next part of the verse, which is, walk as wise, uh, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And if you ever saw the music man when he's doing the big thing about the pool table, uh, he says the, devil, the idle brain is the devil's playground trouble right here in River City. And I think the way we uh, walk wisely is by making the most of time because the days are evil. In other words, if you've just got a normal day and you haven't planned it out, it just kind of tends toward evil. But if I fill my day with godly things and good plans, that tends to keep me from slipping and falling.
0: That's wise counsel.
3: As I've understood biblical wisdom, biblical wisdom is the ability to take the truth of Jesus Christ and the Word of God and to apply it practically to my daily life and the way I live out my life around others. Because wisdom isn't just to be smart in a situation— it's how are we wise enough to let the truth of Jesus flow through us so that we actually go do it. You know, one of the things uh, my wife and I were talking about, we pray together quite a while every day. And she said, I, I've been learning over the years that I've fallen short at times because people say to me, you know, my husband's sick. And she said, she would say, I will pray for him. And she said, I walk out and I totally forget it. She said, I stopped doing that a couple of years ago and it's probably the wisest thing I could have done. And she actually used the word wisdom. That is wisdom. You follow through with what you say, and Christians follow through with what Jesus has told us to do.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, I, and I think the broader context there of Ephesians 5, you know, wisdom truly looks like Christ-likeness, you know, yes. being imitators of God as beloved children, right? And and wisdom and walking wisely— um, I think cannot happen apart from the the empowerment of the indwelling Spirit, which then Paul goes on to talk about. You know, to not get drunk with wine—that's debauchery or self-destructive behavior—but be filled, or keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he actually goes on to t- say, "Well, what does that look like?" And so, addressing one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. So this dressing one another. So this would be gathering, having a habit of gathering with other believers and worshiping the Lord, giving thanks. For everything, um, submitting to one another out, out, out of reverence for Christ. So, I, and, and I think you know, uh, alongside of that, and kind of the backdrop in terms of you know one of the classic passages of, of walking wisely. You know, look to look to the book of Proverbs. It's really that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, ultimately, the fear of the Lord isn't you know being being afraid of God as if He's going to harm or hurt you. It's having a ha- having a, a reverent awe of Him and recognizing that our life is not our own. So every moment and every minute that we have, every breath we take is a gift from Him. So it's recognizing that we ultimately belong to Him. And uh, God is our Creator, has a plan, a purpose uh, for each of our lives. So walking in the fear of the Lord is walking intimately with our Creator so that we know what's on His heart for us, and we actually partner with Him in carrying that out into fruition in our everyday lives.
3: Wow.
2: Can I just add, can I just add to this? I you know, I just had an argument a couple of days ago with the Seventh-day Adventist. They don't believe in eternal hell. And he said, you know, you shouldn't scare people with the fear of God. And I, I quoted Luke 12. Jesus said, uh, don't fear men. All they can do is kill you. Fear God, who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. I mean, there's a verse where Jesus says, fear God because he can send you to hell. So I think, you know, what you just said, uh, Jason, is true, that we're not supposed to have this cringeworthy fear where we're always afraid God's going to send me to hell. But if I turn from Christ and, and walk away from him, I should be so scared I get back on the road, you know.
1: So. Well, yeah, right. I mean, but I think that's, you know, that's also bearing in mind that, you know, every single one of us, you know, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5.10, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account for the life that we mm-hmm. live, and oh, yeah. so that 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 accounting, I think that that instills a healthy
0: fear of the Lord. Uh,
1: sorry, my dog's wanting to chime in on this, but that's okay. um, we'll
0: put we'll put so, your dog on next.
1: Yeah, that's his name's Tozer, so cool. after AW Tozer. AW <laughs> Tozer, I to like say. it. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, that's <laughs> all. Yeah,
0: Bill, have you thought
3: <laughs> about you a, a guy talk 365 day devotional? Because you could take what Justin says and, and others. Yeah, and, no kidding. But it would be good. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff here.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
2: Well, Justin just quoted from, I think it's 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, and he's talking to believers, uh, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive according to what each one has done in the body, whether good or bad, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So Paul is talking about... The fact that even Christians because we're gonna go through judgment you know, some people think Christians don't have to go through judgment day. We do. We know the final verdict because of Christ's death on the cross is gonna be not guilty, but we still have to go through the process and and then get rewards or not. Now, that's first Corinthians three. But Paul says, Knowing the fear of the Lord because of judgment day, we persuade men. So, you know, there there is a kind of a bad teaching going around the church for many years that Christians aren't supposed to fear God. Well, Perfect love casts out fear. That's in the Bible, too. But there is a fear where we are not to fear the Lord because we are of more value than the sparrows. But in the same, that's from Luke 12. But in the same chapter, Jesus says, Fear God because He can send you to hell. And again, the way I put it together, as long as you're trusting Christ, fear not. If you're not trusting Christ or you're living in impenitent sin, fear God because He can send you to hell. If,
3: If you could do the research, and I've done some of this. Uh, for a lot of writing I've done, you look at the denominations. Your mainline denominations have pretty much eliminated talk about hell, punishment, Mm -hmm. or anything about fearing the Lord. That's pretty much gone. In the last 10 years, it's moved even further in that we talk about God generically, and Jesus is left out of the picture altogether. And so there seems to be a systematic process of eliminating anything that would offend somebody so that people will come into the church and support what the church is doing.
0: All right, gentlemen, I need to take a break. We're up against a hard one here. So let me know what your questions are. I've got some great questions coming in, and I'm anxious to get back after the break and get to your questions, but send them on over, 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH. I will ask your question on your behalf. You can remain anonymous, of course, or I can say your name if you like. Either way, it works for me. Be right back. Hearing about Tom Parrish's dinner tonight, and it sounds exquisite. Got a great Mexican dinner coming oh up I, get all,
3: I am looking forward oh to boy. it. boy.
0: And this is all fresh everything, isn't it? It is, right from the garden.
3: Oof. Yeah, my wife's a gardener, so tomatoes, tomatoes, uh, onions, um, peppers, the whole works. And she does a great job at it, and she likes it, mixes it up the way I like it. It's a little pasty. Yeah. And that's the way I like that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. And it's delicious. Oh my goodness. Oh, that sounds good. All right. Here's a nice uh, comment uh, from a listener, Teresa, saying, "No, que- I have no question, but just wanted to say how thankful I am for your guide talk days. I always learn so much and enjoy the interaction between you all." That's sweet. That's kind. That's, That's really nice. nice. Thank you, thank you, Teresa. Very, very nice. I appreciate you. Another uh, listener oh. chimed in. Oh, Tom, were you going to say something?
2: No, I was going to make a snide comment. Never mind. <laughs> then, then
0: I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> and I'm glad you didn't. All right. Another, another uh, listener said. At our church, all of the members have a chance to check out the candidate for deacons, and we all vote as a group, so they're doing it right. Wise. Very wise. Yep. All right. But, can, can it, but there's one
2: thing you should add to that. <laughs> all and right. Of, of so course serious, there is. I was at this, Turn his I mic was down. At the same church, I was at the same church for 29 years and mm-hmm. normally went fine. But when I first started there, they had the policy that at your annual meeting— anybody can get up and nominate anybody for an elder or a deacon. And the reason that's not good is because sometimes only the pastor or another elder or something knows that, you know, Joe, somebody has been cheating on his wife and is under dis. you know, there's so much. So at what we what changed it to is we have a slate of candidates. Uh, here's the people that we prayed about it, what we think they're approved. They're walking with the Lord and then you vote in whoever you want. But you've got to do some screening, because sometimes people will innocently recommend somebody they think is a nice person for an elder, and he's got issues he needs to work through Mm. first. So that's one thing to add.
0: Okay, let's open our Bibles to James 1, verses 13 and 14. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when... By his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. So the question is, when Adam and Eve were tempted in the Garden of Eden and disobeyed God by eating the fruit, does this mean that they had evil desire in them pre-fall? Would this mean that God created beings with evil in them, or just the potential for for evil due to free will? Go ahead, guys. I'm ready to
3: jump (laughs) in, but go ahead.
2: You better go, Tom. I
3: don't want to jump in on that. Go ahead, Tom. Adam and Eve were, the Bible says they're created and the Lord saw it as very good. It's the highest level you can get in terms of something being the way the Lord wants it. But with that free will comes the ability to make bad choices. And that's part of what it means to literally be uh, created in the image of God. Too many people have thought, oh, that means I look like him. He's got hands like I do. That's not the point. The point is, We can make choices, and some of those can be very good, and some of those can be very bad. That's why Christians are called to submit their hearts to Jesus, because he becomes the one who informs us as to whether our motives are good or bad, right or wrong. But Adam and Eve, they simply rebelled, and uh, that was not built in them. They just simply did it on their own because they had that freedom being created in his image.
0: Nice answer, Tom Parrish. I think
1: think yeah, I think that's well said. I don't know if I have a whole lot to add to that. I think that, you know, going back to Genesis 3, there's certainly a, a lot of mystery surrounding that and all of what that looked like. And here's this talking snake, you know, that's embodied by Satan. <laughs> um, but, but I think the you know, that question around the, the mystery of, you know, our free will and being free agents and being able to make volitional choices that carry with it consequences— um I think that's uh that that at least allows for the possibility I think this listener's right in saying that it allows for the possibility that we can be tempted that we can be lured away and uh you know and again there's a lot of a lot of debate a lot of you know i am sure Tom will write a book on this someday one of the times well maybe you already have, but you know I think that's the idea of just you know of, of, one of the ways we d- we demonstrate our love for God is by obedience, but that obedience and and love needs to be a volitional out of our volitional will and something that we desire, yes. uh, desire to do. And so I think that, that at least that doesn't capture every nuance of Genesis three, but I think in terms of understanding, you know, why did God even allow for this to happen? Why did he create a universe that was possible for evil to occur, to occur in the first place? Um, and Again, all of that Genesis three then launches the the whole setup for, for Christ and the cross and for the redeemer to come and for the rest of her to come and crush the head of the snake. And so, um, there's definitely a, a mystery there, but I think it it does speak to the just the um, the frailty of the of the human will and heart, but in our ability to be led astray, but also the power and the wisdom of God to give us a free will in the first place, and, and the type of love relationship that He desires with His created beings.
2: And you you there this it is a mystery, and you know I don't think we have free will anymore. You can make an argument Adam and Eve did. But once they sinned, they infected the whole human race, so that now it's only by the grace of God I can come to Christ. And uh, just to throw a little bit of a wrench into the works, (laughs) though, it does say in Revelation that Jesus is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, when God made the world he knew what was going to happen when Adam and Eve were going to sin. It's not like he went, oops, I shouldn't right. have put that in the garden. Right. He knew That's from right. the foundation of, of the world. And, and you know, I, I again, I had an argument recently with a, uh, a Seventh-day Adventist guy, and, and he said, you know, he, he, he had argued with somebody who, who taught that God did create Adam and Eve and did, in a sense, will the fall. And he thought that was not good. But here's the question. Paul says in Romans 11, God has shut all men up under sin, that he might have mercy on all. And I think St. Augustine made the point in the 400s that we know the love of God more deeply than Adam and Eve knew it, because we saw the cross, the extent to which God would save us and love us. Adam and Eve didn't know it to that extent. So did God will the fall well, it doesn't look like it because he gets mad when they sin. On the other hand, God's in control of everything from the beginning, so it didn't surprise him. And so it was, in one sense, part of his plan so that he could send Christ slain from the foundation of the world so that we would glorify God forever for his mercy. That—that's. Uh, but some of this is just beyond us, I think.
0: All right, let me move on. This is kind of an interesting question. I will read it verbatim. Is it a pastor's job to affirm the Black Lives Matter movement in order to stay current as many pastors are doing?
3: No. And the reason I say no is if you look at the uh, statement of Black Lives Matter, they reject the nuclear family. They reject uh, male and female as we know them. They're very big on the LGBTQ community, and they have mixed that with the Black Lives Matter. Now, every life matters, and I will will say that to my death. When you start singling out individual groups and create an organization around it, there's usually an agenda. And that's what people have to look at, and pastors have to be aware of that agenda. Should pastors stand up and call for justice? Yes. Should they stand up and speak the truth of God's Word? Yes. Should they stand with a brother and sister of a different color that's in trouble? Yes, but we don't simply join, join these organizations without really understanding what they're saying because it's terribly confusing and most of them work against the authority of Jesus.
1: Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's wisely put, Tom. I, I think a pastor's job isn't to just simply affirm, you know, any kind of whatever the current relevant movement is, but I think to be able to discern is there a, are there kingdom values because uh, you know black lives matter sure. uh, or, as an organization as made up of people made in the image of god are there kingdom values that that the pastor could discern and call forth and i think yes in terms mm-hmm. of saying recognizing that we live in a country that has uh, disproportionately treated black lives as less than compared to um to other lives and to others. so i think i think that's to recognize black lives matter doesn't mean that other lives it's not saying that other lives don't matter, but it's that black lives historically um, in North America have mattered less in terms of the different policies and systems that have been in place. And even saying that I recognize there might be disagreement or that might be the, you know um, but but I think it's it's the, the pastor's job to be able to call out the, the dignity and value and worth of every single person as made in the image of God but also to stand up, as Tom said, for justice and say that there has been inequality and there has been um, unrighteous uh, laws and systems that have been put in place that have kept it that way. And so I think it's um, imperative for pastors to be able to speak truth uh, with grace and uh, to be able to take a stand, not affirming a, a movement or organization, but affirming those things that that whether that organization knows it or not are actually adherence to kingdom values. Yes, <clears throat> and and you can believe that Black
2: Lives Matter and be totally against the organization called Black Lives Matters, which is Marxist, uh, run by a lesbian with a pro LGBT agenda, and some of that stuff has been I think I've been told has been. Uh, edited out of its website, but when this whole thing hit, it was pretty clear that this is not a group most people would really want their money to go to. So it's, to me, I mean, everybody, before you give money to an organization, do some research. Black Lives Matter, hey, I believe that. I'll send them $100. No, no, no. Look and see what they're promoting. They're they're against the nuclear family. They were very clear on that. That So just, uh, just be careful. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, the last 11 months certainly has been difficult with so much social isolation, mask wearing. I mean, it's all been necessary, but for people who are trying to uh, have friendships, my next uh, listener is wondering uh, any advice for a younger guy to find fellowship with other men when a large majority of the church is much older? I've done some projects with older men around the church, but most of them can't do things that younger guys can. I mean, that's a tricky one. Uh, Everyone's looking to expand their friendship base. And any kind of counsel or recommendation that doesn't sound like a stock answer? I don't see where there is
3: uh, you can be held back from building those relationships, even with COVID. I mean, wear your mask, you know, keep a decent distance. But whether you set three feet from someone or six feet from someone, You can begin to know them, build a relationship with them, interact with them. And, uh, you know, you can go out on a basketball court and play basketball if you want to. There's so many things we can do. We've allowed ourselves to be hampered by this out of fear rather than out of good logic and good science. And I would say uh, go for whatever relationship that helps build you in your faith and your walk and you as a person. And don't be afraid of it uh, because you can literally— uh, change somebody's life, and they can change yours. Mm-hmm. And we can't wait for that to happen.
0: It's a great answer, um, and it's very clear what you presented. But I, I think it's a complicated issue, because how how there's so many people that have trouble making friends. Yeah, and people say, mm-hmm. well, if you have two good friends in life, you're really set. Yeah, and you know, so it's yeah, it's just it's it can be a challenge.
2: I think yeah, too. I wouldn't recommend. Yeah. The n- normally, there's a men's ministry. Uh, in large churches, you know in smaller churches, you probably don't have a men 's ministry, but if you're looking for some male fellowship, you might want to just check out some of the large evangelical churches near you and just call and say, "Is there a young men's uh Bible study I can join, or is there a men's uh you know fellowship group or whatever and for that you you know you can still attend your own church, but then you might n- need to go to a larger church for a men
1: 's fellowship,
0: sure. It's interesting. I just you know, had a, I, Well, go ahead, Justin.
1: No, Well, was your comment going to be in addition to the... Yeah, the, I just, I a just, I just, I just
0: okay. had a listener said, um, hey, I'll hang out with him.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go.
0: Seriously, I just love this. And I know the, I lo- the guy who yeah. wrote is a very thoughtful guy. I mean, and the guy who suggested I'll hang out with him is a very thoughtful guy. So, you know, there might be a friendship there.
1: You know... Yeah, I, I love that, Bill. Uh, I was even going to say, hey, you know, who is who is this? I'll, I'll hang out with him too. But I—so um, if that doesn't work out, let me know. I, yeah, I would love to connect with this listener. I would suspect that there's somebody else in his church, though, that is feeling the same way and is probably feeling like they don't know where to turn and they maybe feel stuck in a rut. And so I, I, I wonder if this, if this particular young, you know, this brother could go to— or the church leadership, whatever. And just wonder, like, hey, you know, could he could he begin maybe a, a Bible study? Maybe it's even over Zoom, and 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 mm-hmm. get that out that word out to other men in the mm-hmm. church. And I, I really, and, and and again, there's so many great materials out there. So if this person doesn't feel like, oh, I'm not qualified to lead, or I don't even know what to do, there's, you know, um, I, you know, Bill, you've had him. uh you've had uh, Vince Miller with Resolute. The oh dot org dot com. You know, there's so many great materials that that really can uh, someone can just simply, re- you know, facilitate from almost, you know, not having any prep or any of experience and it, it really train and equip you. And I I, I would suspect that if you were to do that, you know, I, I wouldn't be I would be surprised if there wasn't maybe a few other other brothers in that church that would say, hey, I want to sign up for that. That's exactly what I'm looking for. And um, so maybe with this burden that, that God's placed on his heart, might actually be an invitation to take a step of faith in leadership yeah, and at, great, his, at
0: his church. And great idea bringing up Vince Miller again at Resolute.org, because Vince said on the show that I'll mentor anyone that wants me to uh, for a year for free. Praise God. And just mention my name. All you got to do is mention my name and then give them the last three numbers on the back of your credit card. There you go and it's completely yeah, free and i can,
1: uh. and i can say i sat with i sat with vince in a, in a group and was mentioned by him for a year and it's well worth the time so yeah he's awesome um t- take him up on that yeah,
0: yep all right let me take a little break let me know what questions you've got for the power panel 8779332484 be right back You know, it seems just even a little bit lighter out today at this point, doesn't it? Just, it does. Like it's not quite so dark yet, which is really nice. Guy Talk is happening this hour. We're going to extend to the uh, the British version, which means we'll go 90 minutes today, the extended version for those participants that can continue with us. I hope you can, Justin. If that's uh, If you can, that'd be great. If not, I understand. Got lots of great questions coming in from listeners. I have not even gotten to my prepared material today, so there you go. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Here's problem. Material, Bill. What?
1: You prepared material? Yeah.
0: Well, you act act like I don't. That's hurtful. All right.
1: (laughs) Well, you you were surprised at how well we started. That's true. I was just trying to. You know, I I don't know.
0: That's true. All right. Here's here's one. Uh, Are babies born sinful, or at what point do they become sinful? Come on, Tom,
3: you've got the answer. Yeah, I know, think, Tom Brock. I think,
2: I, think, I think they're born sinful, and I get this from Romans 5, In Adam all sinned, and I'd say to parents, did you notice when you were raising your children, you had to teach them how to be good? You didn't have to teach them how to be bad. I mean, just watch kids, e- even babies, the way, <laughs> you know, it just, we're all infected with this thing called sin, and original sin simply means it comes from Adam and Eve, and, and it's, it's I you know, uh uh, in sin did my mother conceive me," says says David in the Psalms. and yes. and so I think we're all infected.
1: Yeah, yeah. And having two young kids myself, I definitely haven't had to teach them <laughs> to to be uh, to be violent, to bite, to hit, or be selfish. You know. So I think there's, yeah. And Tom, you referenced the scriptures that were in my mind too. So I think, yeah, absolutely, um, we were all born in sin. Um, I think there, there, though, there isn't a. Maybe a level of consciousness of that sin and what that's like though, until a little bit later that gets developed, but certainly um the conviction of that sin and the work of the Holy Spirit can begin at a very young age. I have a three and a half year old and he <laughs> he uh he understands when he's doing something wrong, you know, and then trying to talk and explain to her about what what sin is and how Jesus is his rescuer and uh, to to talk to him. And uh, it's amazing how, uh, at such a young age, the things that he's able to grasp and internalize. Um, So it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever watched, if if you Google guilty
2: dogs, you will get some hilarious videos of dogs that know they did something wrong and they can't look the master in the eye. I mean, these are hilarious and these are dogs, <laughs> and I don't know what to do with that, but even a dog can have guilt and shame. And when Adam and he sinned, according to Romans 8, you know, the whole universe fell with them, and the whole universe is going to have to be, you know, uh, redeemed at the end. So it, it sin didn't just infect humans, it's infected the whole planet. And uh, some of that, again, is beyond us, but there you go.
0: I'm just looking up a verse right now that I just got texted from a listener. It looks like it's Psalm fifty one five. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tom, Tom would refer to you. Yeah,
0: Psalm. Oh, did you? 51. I I wasn't even isn't that funny? I wasn't even listening. Oh. Seriously, that's... Well, okay. I, I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking at the text line. I got text coming in. I'm trying to figure out what this verse is. And so I'm, I'm kind of listening, but not entirely. You know, and I, honest,
3: I honestly believe, and, and as funny as this is, I honestly believe that on this topic, that's the way the Lord reinforces the truth. That you weren't even thinking about it, but you actually went to it. And Tom brought it up. And I think it's something that most people know intuitively, but we want to ignore. Because deep within mm-hmm. sight, all of us, our thoughts aren't what they should be. Our behavior isn't what they should be. I can think back mm-hmm. to kindergarten. Now, that was three years ago. But I can think <laughs> back to kindergarten. And already I can see myself doing things to other kids for my own benefit and taking advantage mm-hmm. of them. And they would do the same thing toward me. So, yeah, it's, it's a powerful statement. And King David, I think, hits the nail on the head.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any other comments, gentlemen?
1: Yeah. Well, no, I, I think, to, to Tom's thing, too, I think we, we often, I think, in especially in the West, view sin as such an individualistic aspect, and we think that it's just between me and God, and it certainly is, but I think that our sin also impacts everybody else around us, and that, that sin did have a total—sin it, broke everything, you know, and I think there's kind of the, that fourfold brokenness, that it, it, it fractured our relationship with God, it fractured our relationship with one another— it fractured my relationship with myself and how I view myself, and it also fractured our relationship with the rest of God's created world. And you see the the abuse and the the oppression and the decay. Um, you know Romans eight that all of creation waits and groans for the redemption of 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 the sons of God. And 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 so I think that's then a points though to the great the greatness of sin points to the to, to the even greater aspect of our Savior and how Jesus came to restore reconciling all things by the blood of the cross as Colossians 1 says. So I think it's yeah, I think we really and we talked about it before, uh don't don't often grasp the severity of sin and I think all all we need to do to in order to be reminded of the severity of sin is to look at the cost that was paid for sin on the cross and um and that's something that I think we need to do. Uh, every day, and God invites us into, and it, it, that's what helps keep our hearts humble, um, our spirit sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit. Going going back, how how can we keep being filled with the Holy Spirit to walk wisely? Because the days are evil. So uh, yeah, I just I'm, anyway, I'm just starting. To, I'm starting to connect dots now, Bill. So I like that's, that's it. All. It's good. Yeah,
0: yep. I, I, I like mm-hmm. it. All right, we're getting awfully close to the top of the hour here, and we're going to extend ninety minutes, whoever, or for another thirty after this, for whoever can continue to participate. And so, my question is, kind of in a lightning round, what in God's Word have you looked at, studied, or the Holy Spirit has shown you in a new, fresh way in the last couple of weeks? Mm, good question. I mean, I know I know you guys are all in the Word a lot. So sometimes, you know, God's Word is alive and active and sharper than a two edged sword. And you can read a verse a hundred times, and a hundred and first time you read it, and you go, "How did I miss this?" I do that all the time. I do too. And, of course, when you ask Mm -hmm. someone specifically, they can't think of what it is. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) you know, that's true, because it's, uh, ask a fish about water, and they go, what's water? Yeah,
2: I'll tell you what, this morning I was reading in John, and not to be controversial, but so often in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls God his Father. And I will send the Holy Spirit to you, whom the Father—I mean, the Father, 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 Father—just Father. continually Jesus refers to God as Father. Therefore, it bothers me when we have people in the church that think we should baptize the name of the Mother, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, I don't.
0: I don't even know what you're that's talking what about. This,
2: that's, 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 that's what I got. This that's morning. how
0: naive I am. I don't even know what you're talking about.
2: Well, there are there are people in the church that think that father language is is sexist and we oh, need gotcha. to refer to God
1: as, as our mother.
0: Yeah. No thank you. Hmm. Next. No, no thanks. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah,
1: for me for me I, I you know, I I kinda usually have a couple different patterns. I usually have, you know, just like a typical Bible reading plan of going through the scriptures comprehensively and then I usually have a certain section of scripture that I'm studying a little bit more in depth. And then usually from one of those two um, areas, I'm, I'm I'm focusing on memorizing. And I, I think for me, it's maybe not a specific passage, but I think in having kind of multiple different touch points across the storyline of Scripture on a regular basis, just helps me to see how the Bible truly is one story and how it's all connected. And um, and this idea of how Scripture can interpret Scripture, mm, I and like so, that so much. So I think that I've just been really struck with that that amazing dynamic of this, this these words are living and active, and they all are connected together telling one story.
0: Yeah. All right. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have more Guide Talk. It'll be a mystery to me as well as you who's going to be remaining on the panel. That's it's going to be interesting. I don't know who's all going to be left as the dust, the dust settles. But uh, we'll take a short break and be back with a little more Guide Talk coming up in Hour 2. Be right back.